Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by my two friends, my childhood friend Chris Down. Massive tax evasion. And my adulthood friend Minty Booth. Save this good world. And we are discussing our all-time top 100 favourite video games. Announcement! Announcement! Before we dive into the episode and hear all about Minty's eighth favourite video game of all time, we just wanted to point you in the direction, as we always do, of our different homes upon the net. Firstly, please do check out our YouTube channel. We're populating it with constant content and you can see our streaming activity, such as the Inky Dunk runs me and Minty have been doing on The Binding of Isaac Afterbirth Plus. There's also Chris attempting to beat my Super Mario Maker 2 Superworld. There's many documentaries about the lineage of video games, loads of things. Head over to YouTube, search for Our Three Cents. Please do watch, like the videos, share them, subscribe to the channel. And we also have an online home over on Twitch where we stream live. And you can find us there at O3C Podcast. Finally, we also have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash Our Three Cents. And you can find all manner of excellent exclusive perks on offer in exchange for some sponsorship from your good selves. If you're looking to support the podcast, a great place to start is just by sharing the podcast on your social media platforms. We'd really appreciate that. And if you want to support us even more and get a whole heap of bonus content, then head over and take a look at our Patreon page. Full bonus episodes, exclusive deleted scenes and outtakes, and access to the Hour 3 Cents Discord channel. Woo! So, this week we have Minty's... Eighth favorite video games of all time. One fat lady. Oh, boy. Oh, I tell you, it's been an emotional ride um, prepping for for this week. So, I'm I'm going to warn you now. There may be tears. Well, oh, oh my appetite is wet. <laughs> yeah, I don't know whether or not to tell you then that we're going to have to do the quiz. We've got a, a pre coaster before the roller coaster. Goodness okay. me, because the scores are 49 all and there's two cards left. It's That's a joke. The, the pre-coaster <laughs> is the drive down to Thorpe Park. Quiz! What is the name? Of Sonic the Hedgehog's sidekick. Tails. Oh, tra- Tails Prowler. Well. That's going to have to go to the edit, isn't it? That is, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, it's, um, I, I absolutely, that's too close to call. So I'm going to have to, uh, I'm going to have to revise that in the edit and figure out who, who won it. Tails. Oh, tra- Tails Prowler. Tails. Tra- Tails Prowler. And the winner is Minty Pooh. Oh, oh, he's done it. Oh. oh, my goodness me. Oh, boy. My goodness. Well done. Well done. 50 points to 49. <laughs> goodness me. Well, there is one week left of the quiz proper. Then you're in for all kinds of treats. There's going to be all manner of quizzing fun to be had. Quiz Game Plus. 
let me just say well done both of you at this point oh thanks mate (laughs) thank you it's been great fun and i honestly can't believe we are this level at this point it's insane it's insane so we've had another question to answer come in from the social media sphere long-time listener and supporter of the podcast cj anderson has asked us what is our best and what is our worst experience at a gaming arcade seems fitting we hand over to our resident arcade expert, Chris Dow, Hello. to kick us off. What's been the best and what's been the worst experience you've had at an arcade? I really love arcade games, as you know, I've mentioned a few times, even though I didn't have that many in-person arcade experiences growing up. So, you know, thinking about games on my list, like notable arcade titles, Sega Rally is obviously a great arcade game, but I only ever yeah. played it on the Sega Saturn before finding a, mm. a cabinet in the student union bar in my first year of university. Fantastic Journey, the Parodia sequel that was on my list. Again, a brilliant arcade shoot em up, but I had never seen it in a stand-up cabinet until it was at the arcade club in Berry. Ditto for Robotron 2084, a game that I learned to love on the Xbox 360 port long before I ever saw it in the flesh anywhere. But as a kid, though, and this will probably come as no surprise thinking back to the the Simpsons arcade episode, nothing will rival the the Sundays I spent at Pleasure Armor in Ramsgate. That kind of weird, (laughs) soft play, adventure land come arcade. That It was the greatest place in the world. It it was such a big part of my childhood. Like every weekend I went was a joy. And the, the games I remember playing specifically that made it such a fun time. I'd always play the Simpsons arcade, obviously. I'd play Crocodile Panic, like smashing big plastic reptiles with a rubber mallet. <laughs> and there was a weird like shooting gallery that had you firing air from these little mounted rifles to trigger basically just animatronics, simple animatronics. And I'm sure in this arcade, there might have been a hundred other machines there. But for the life of me, I, I only remember those three things that... You know, I was so laser focused that I wanted to just play those three things every time we went. Yeah. And I think those games really, they're, they're an extrapolation of, of everything we do in video games even today, because you had, you know, Crocodile Panic is just a game of reflexes. The Simpsons was an audio visual showcase for the time. And then the shooting gallery was basically a test of skill. And that's games, isn't it? Like those three <laughs> sort of facets, that's all we do in games, really. Things that look nice and get progressively nicer as time goes on things that you have to react to and things that you learn to get better at skillfully. So yeah, I, I loved it. And, and as much as the arcade club is honestly about my favorite place on the planet and I, I can't <laughs> wait to make another 650 mile round trip to visit it again, whenever my first visit to Pleasure Armor was, I think just wins by default. In terms of bad experiences, it's basically, it's any time I've gone to an arcade and seen something like Time Crisis and then gone up and realized the gun doesn't work. Oh. <laughs> like the, the the sense of disappointment when it's like the, the the recoil on the top, the force feedback doesn't work, or you aim at the screen and it's just it's not registering what you're doing. And I think over over time that became more and more frequent that say in Margate, where, where I've lived for most of my life, there's still arcades in Margate, but they've essentially just fallen into disrepair over the years. And you still have you know, banks of 2P pushers, you still have slot machines and all that sort of thing. But games just got, they just became few and far between. And most of the time now, if you visit Margate Seafront, you'll find arcade versions of mobile games really commonly for some reason. So things like Flappy Bird or Piano Keys, like a lot of those sort of games for some reason got massive arcade cabinets in, in the last few years. And then you often have just something they've wheeled out of an old old cupboard, like Time Crisis 2. Yeah. And anytime I see it, I'm always really excited. And then you go up and it's like, 
this doesn't work, does it? <laughs> I know this doesn't work. Why am I even considering spending a pound to play something that I know doesn't work? So yeah, it's basically any time I've been to an arcade that isn't the arcade club in the last 10 years has been miserable. <laughs> well, there we go. How about you, Minty? I've only really had two arcade experiences. So <laughs> I, I, I'm afraid to say both have been fairly positive. Got to pick one. Oh. <laughs> yeah, well, I've, I've managed to uh, juggle them in such a way that even though they were both great, one is probably worse than the other. So we're going to go with the worst one first. Okay. The worst one was, I, I, I don't quite know how to explain it, but there's a, in Cardiff City Centre, there's a, there's a three-story building called the Arcade Vaults, which is an homage, a museum, an interactive enjoyment complex where they have all kinds of arcade machines, retro consoles, all the rest of it that you can go in and play for a nominal fee here and there. You can have such things as beer and ramen and all the rest of it. And I've only ever been there once, and that was for a D&D one-shot, which I, I, I mean, not to blow my own instrument, but I fucking slayed at. <laughs> but I didn't play a single, I didn't play a single video game. So that's my worst experience. So. <laughs> Going to an arcade where you didn't play any games. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Chris at the Arcade Vaults. I didn't play a video game, so unfortunately it was the worst arcade experience in my life. Sorry. <laughs> the best arcade experience of my life was, it's it's not really my local pub, but it's it's the pub that I go to. It's not down in, it's sort of over in Poncana. Right. It's a... It's, it's a yeah, yeah, to the right of where I am. It's the it's Cardiff's first micropub, St. Canna's Ale House, for those of you um, who know it. If you don't know it, I've just explained it. But he got in an arcade cabinet. And it's one of those ones where I think it's just an emulation thing where it's got like 21,000 games on it, maybe. Ooh-wee. I've definitely talked about this on the podcast before because it was the first time that I played Robotron. Yes, ah, yeah, yes. you did mention it. And just sort of wandering in, having a lovely, a lovely pint of cask bitter, sitting down in the snug with Mrs. Minty, seeing, oh, well, there's an arcade cabinet over there. And not only realising that it's got so many games on it, but it's not been incredibly well configured. So you put one coin in and you can basically play as many games as you want for the entire evening. <laughs> that, was, that was kind of my favourite favorite arcade experience just not only being able to play all these games that so many people have talked about this that and the other but doing it for a quid that, that's really nice <laughs> every game in the world for a quid <laughs> excellent well my best experience is a really easy one because as part of a superb stag weekend we went to a retro bar in cardiff called kong's which also serves as an arcade and has several proper arcade cabinets around the walls of the pub, including Donkey Kong, Pac-Man, 1942, Track and Field, Bubble Bubble, Golden Axe, Double Dragon, Metal Slug, Mall, Combat Street Fighter 2. I mean, there was others. I think there was a, a virtual racing one that unfortunately was out of commission. That was very sad. But it was sad. It was, wasn't it? One of the guys on my stag, my friend Charles, that heartbreaker. Oh, Charles. <laughs> He knew somebody who worked there and he uh, he bent their ear for a tick and said it was my stag do. And would he be able to unlock one of the machines for us to play on for as long as we'd like? 
the answer was yes. Yes, surely you can. And looking at the smorgasbord of 80s and 90s goodness before me, I decided to ask for NBA Jam to be unlocked. Oh yes, I remember. Tasty. I had incredibly fond memories of having that game on the Saturn when I was a kid. Great, simple, fun, arcade action, loads of silly things going on, and just just an absolute riot. And, and I had the best time. Mm. Like I think I must have played with everyone who was on my SAG at one point or another, just, <laughs> just slamming those dunks yeah. and spinning those balls. The other apparatus that featured that night was a gaming cabinet of a different kind. Half analogue, half digital... I watched Mr. Booth's Gandalf-like grip upon a pinball table. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Eh? Now, I've played my fair share of pinball, but it struck me that 99% of that was playing pinball video games, not the real deal. And I've only done that probably half a dozen times. Like, they never made much sense to me. They're bright flashing lights melding into the neighbouring cabinets in an endless line of gambling and gaming machines. But watching Minty play and execute, you know, proper strategy or at least attempt at it and uh, and skill, it was just really good fun. Like, I, it was, it was really good. There's something nice about how tactile it was, you know, sort of feeling the bumpers, feeling the weight of the ball bearings. I, I mean, if I was to win the lottery and build a little arcade room somewhere, pinball table would definitely feature. It's, yeah, that'd be uh, yeah. great. And, and I love it when I spot a pinball table in, in, a, in a pub, especially if it's like a new-ish one, because you realise that like, when you see one, I can't remember what the theme of that one was, but if it was like a, I don't know, Back to the Future or something, it's like obviously there was a Back to the Future one or a Jurassic Park one or, or one of those big sort of 80s movies. But then, you know, there are sort of like modern ones. There was one time, it was actually when me and you, Chris, and our respectives had met up on Broadstead Seafront uh, during Folk Week. And they had a Sopranos pinball machine in the corner. Uh, I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> I don't but, uh, at all. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't play it. You know, you see like a, a Deadpool one uh, that's been obviously released as part of the film. And you think, actually, no, these are still being made. And I, I, I you know what? I would love to... In fact, I'm sure I used to design pinball tables, like, on, obviously, like, crayons when I was a little kid. I'd love to design a pinball table of, of like, a film. Like, my, say, like, my, my favourite film, Magnolia. Imagine having a pinball table based around Magnolia. <laughs> How ridiculous would that be? Seamless. I think it's the perfect medium to tie in. My worst arcade experience, on the other hand, also actually has a bit of a silver lining, so it's not all doom and gloom, but I certainly felt like I stared into the face of doom with my gloom-riddled brain in the aftermath of what can only be described as a bacchanal of an evening spent at Sands Nightclub in Saundersford <laughs> on an annual trip to Tenby. <laughs> so me and a group of guys have made it a bit of a tradition to go to Tenby together once a year because as our lives filled up with jobs and families, children, careers and our geographic distance spread further apart... We knew that if we didn't cement at least one thing in the diary a year, then we'd probably drift apart forever without meaning to. Now, this was back in the day when I used to drink, so it's a fair few years ago now. And after our occupation of the pubs in Tenby Town Centre had run dry, we did what we say we'll never do each year, which is go to Sands Nightclub in Saundersfoot. Now, to give you a sense of the tone of the club... We always warm up for our night out with pre-drinks, drunk to a re-watching of A Night at the Roxbury. 
and with Baby Don't Hurt Me blasting in our ears, we do some of the worst dad dancing you'll ever see across the floor of Sands. Maybe pop out to the integrated burger shack for a recharge at some point. Then we'd be back inside requesting Glenn Hoddle and Chris Waddle's classic single Diamond Lights from the <laughs> DJ until uh, we were kicked out. And in the aftermath of that, the only thing left to do until like the alcohol had left our system in the morning to ensure it was... I mean, to be honest, about 60-40 safe to drive home, was uh, to go to the arcades on site at the campsite where we tended to rent a caravan. (laughs) (laughs) I remember the first year that I was in that place without a hangover, and my goodness, was it equally a much better experience and significantly worse for being able to see it all the clearer. (laughs) And I remember on this one time just just pouring myself into a Jurassic Park light gun game cabinet because it meant that I might be able to sit down for a few minutes (laughs) (laughs) without realising the whole cabinet was on hydraulics. (laughs) 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 It was was horrible. (laughs) It was so horrible. Like, oh, God. And I remember spending at least, like, ten quid on the claw machine trying to, like, get a stuffed Pokemon toy. It's just livid. <laughs> I remember, actually, you mentioned earlier, Chris, the um, mobile arcade games. And yeah. there was an arcade version of Doodle Jump there. Oh, Christ. Which was actually surprisingly good. But I think only because, you know, it was a machine that had been made in the last five years as opposed to the last 50 years, like the yeah, rest of them. Yeah. But, I mean, it's... <sighs> It's quite a depressing place. It's it's one that we absolutely appreciate, ironically. But there was actually one good thing that came out of that particular trip to the arcade. And that was the year we decided to introduce a trophy to one of our other annual traditions, which was a competitive game of pirate-themed adventure golf at the Outdoor Experience Centre, Heatherton. (laughs) Every year, we'll visit and face off against each other over its 18 holes to see who can be crowned victorious. But we thought that a fun way to keep the beer fear from enveloping us fully into the void was to see how many tickets we could win in the arcade across all the different machines. And then what we would do is we'd pull them all together and cash them in for something that would act as the mini golf trophy for years to come. And I was particularly invested that year because I'd won the tournament and we managed to get I mean, a fair few hundred like tickets together between the group of us. And I think it was about eight or nine hundred tickets to cash in for a small ceramic owl <laughs> that has now been bestowed with a huge amount of provenance and one that I haven't been able to win back since I lost it the following year to Mark. Every year, it seems to come down to the two of us on the last hole, neck and neck. The tension always turns my stomach to rot. So I'm still having dreadful digestive issues even like seven years after i quit drinking i can't wait to go back it's so nice <laughs> gotta win that 10 bl <laughs> yeah so there we go hopefully uh, cj that answers your question if anybody else has any questions please do get in touch with us on our social media channels so what have we played this week Nintendo? No, Minty. Uh, it may as well be Nintendo. why don't you kick us off with uh, what you've been playing this week yeah, yeah, fuck it. I have been playing, you're not going to believe this, but I've been playing a lot of Bravely Default 2. Sure. Two. I'm on chapter 3. I have figured out a wonderful area to grind up job points. So the progression of the story, and therefore the game itself, has taken a back seat as I really optimise all of my characters, therefore. And that's one of the joys for me. Uh, when, when it comes to 
such games as this where I assume level 99 for each character's level, but level 12 for all of their jobs. There's this one enemy that's a rare monster in the very first overworld area that you can fight for a ton of experience. Oh, there's al- there's always one, isn't there, yeah, in, in an yeah. RPG? And I'm at that point where I can clear it, where I can kill it in one turn. That's the game, otherwise it runs away. Yeah, yeah. I've been I've I've been killing that over and over for a good fifteen hours now, just um, <laughs> getting all of my characters up to level twelve in white mage, black mage, uh, freelancer, ranger, thief, this, that, and the other. I'm really excited for uh, what different story beats uh, the game will have, but. That, that that's for another time. I just I want I want to breeze through all of that um that page turning nonsense, being able to just break every enemy over the back of my knee. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, Chris. How about you? What have you played this week? It's probably been my least gamey week in quite a while. I haven't had a lot of duck and goose. <laughs> <laughs> I've been uh, I've been teaching remotely for pretty much the whole of twenty twenty one so far. And even though I work at a very small school, you know, I have still been in every other week, but it's just the pressure that comes with with regular schooling hasn't been there. And I've had just a bit of time up to to this point, it seems, each week. I do feel it's important to add, though, not to remind you two, because we speak to each other all the time, but to the wider world, this hasn't just been three months of me slacking off and all teachers just sat at home on on our asses. Like, I have been working every day. It's just the time that it takes to to work at home and set and mark stuff remotely between nine and three is very different than a regular school day when I'm up and I'm prepping from pretty much 6am and I usually don't get home until 6pm that night and you know with still bits and pieces to do. It's been a really tough year and it has actually been quite nice to have a bit of extra time to myself for the first few months of this one because I think all of us three have have felt you know the hand of the government in our respective professions throughout this last few months and and just the last year, really, throughout the pandemic. So you've got, you know, Jonathan as, as a freelancer, someone working in the art sector, loads of people in your position were basically told, just retrain, just do something else. <laughs> you, you know, you've had Minty, the hospitality industry has been afforded basically next to no support at all to manage, you know, being told you can or can't open sometimes just with a day's notice. And education as well, for me, just constantly being told since September that, schools were brilliantly safe despite all the data showing them to be the biggest disease vectors in the country <laughs> it's, it's been stupid like really really absurd and it's actually been quite nice to you know since january at least be vindicated that schools had to close you know and as a result of that even though it has been stressful you know for, for student progress for, for safeguarding whatever else i've had to think about i have had this time to balance with with some games but you know conversely now with this last week and the last week or so being you know, schools back open fully, lessons being delivered as normal again, suddenly my days are getting longer and longer and longer again. And this is the first week where I've really felt that meaningful time for gaming has been at a bit of a premium for the first time in quite a while. I've done a few quests in Outer Worlds. I am still going with that. I'm really determined to get through this game, honestly. <laughs> like I'm I'm about 35 hours in now, according to the Switch, and I am still enjoying it. But this is well beyond the time that I would normally just tail off in a big game like this. And there are times, especially now when I'm not that time rich, it really is quite a fight to keep engaged because I, I just don't have the time to say, well, I'll play two hours here or three hours here. 
like I was before. And trying to manage a game like that in little 10 minute chunks is, is quite difficult to keep yourself ticking along. I have still been doing the odd run on the Binding of Isaac. Yeah. You know, I, I still watch the, the Inky Dunk videos normally when I have my breakfast in the morning. Excellent. But sadly, like before I was playing it on my laptop before I started my kind of remote teaching for the day. For some reason, doing it in that context, I was actually closing out quite a lot of runs. I was getting better at the game. And now that I'm sitting back and I'm, I'm back playing on the TV a bit more relaxed, suddenly I'm I'm terrible again. <laughs> like it, it really has gone. And it's got back to the point where the small pool of skill I built up has just dissipated somehow. And now I'm panicking my way through through every dreadful room, <laughs> like really struggling. You know, the, the golfing ability between the, the inky dunk runs by you two and the Chrissy dunk runs in my living room is quite <laughs> significant. I'll say that. The only other thing I'm really playing or have, you know, spent a few minutes on this week is, like I mentioned last week, San Andreas on the Vita. Oh, yeah. Mainly because I'm, I'm part of the Discord community where sort of beta releases of the port are, are being distributed. And I found it really fascinating to be part of that process that, you know, you, you have a new version of the game to boot up. You can kind of see things that have been improved. And I've really enjoyed being part of the feedback process. So helping test audio fixes that now means the game's in stereo, even though the mobile port never was. Oh, nice. Things like the, the control layouts now mimicking the, the old PlayStation controls as opposed to the weird hybrid touchscreen thing the, the mobile port had. I'm not making much progress in the game. Like, honestly, this is, I, I boot it up, I do a mission, then I say, yeah, it works, thanks. And then I, I close it for the night. But the, the wider kind of meta game of supporting that community has been quite a nice thing to sort of retreat to in the evening for, for 15 minutes here and there. Mm. And that's about it. So, so you know, three games or so that I'm probably played about half an hour of each, and that's about it in the last week. Well, my gaming activity uh, overlaps quite, quite, Quite closely with yours, actually, Chris, because I have also done a fair few Isaac runs. Of course. <laughs> uh, as, uh, as, as people will have seen upon the YouTube, and it continues to be an absolute joy. I unlocked The Forgotten, which is a, a secret character. The video of me unlocking The Forgotten, or my attempts to unlock The Forgotten, is, is on the YouTube channel, which is, is great fun <laughs> because it is utterly absurd, where you have to beat the first floor in under a minute, then uh, you basically are then pursued by mum's stomping foot, stomping down every like every second or every two seconds, as you then have to then try and get to boss rush and through boss rush. And if you do that, then you get a complete shovel, and then you have to get to the dark room, to a specific room to dig up the forgotten. It was really good fun to unlock it, and it's just been so much fun playing as the Forgotten because he plays in such a different way to any of the other characters. It's very difficult to describe, but you're kind of two characters in one. You can switch between the Forgotten, who is a proper melee character, so you just hit things with a bone, or his soul, which is then tethered to the Forgotten and sort of acts as similar to the Lost, to be honest. But once you get your head around how it works and sort of how you can exploit some of the characteristics of the character... It's just been great. Really, really good. And now I've just been going through and trying to sort of tick off all of the endings on all of the post-it notes to try and get myself back up to where I had got in my first save file on my American copy. And I'm almost there with most of the characters, apart from The Lost. That's kind of what I want to do, is want to do all of the endings with Mega Satan and Delirium on hard with all the characters. Not bothering with greedier mode, the hard mode of greed, which is just... I mean, Minty have been talking about this in the week, and... 
Greed mode is great. I love greed mode. One of the, the crazy things about it is that a, a build that works incredibly well to deal with the waves in greed mode doesn't necessarily make for a good build to beat the final boss, the ultra greed. And it can mean that you're just totally caught out when you come to that fight. And ultra, what what is the the then the next one you do on greedier mode, Minty? What's what boss is that? Ultra greedier. <laughs> well, I, I probably could have. I probably could have worked that one out, couldn't I? Mm. <laughs> yeah, again, like is is just such a sponge. I only beat ultra greedier a couple of times, I think, on my other save file. But yeah, I just it's just great. It's been great finding a lot of the the items and 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 different mechanics and new enemies that I'd sort of missed that have been introduced in the booster packs. And yeah, I'm just I'm continuing to have a great time and just explore areas of the game that I hadn't found even in my over thousand hours of play in the game. <laughs> insane. It is insane. But also, I bought The Outer Worlds after you were picking it up, Chris. It's good. And uh, there was some interesting (laughs) chatter about it over in the Patreon-exclusive Discord channel. And it was on sale on the PlayStation Store for 20 quid. And I know I haven't taken very well to playing first-person games on a console with a controller. But I thought, I'm just going to persevere with it so I can enjoy this game. Because there's not like a third-person option like there is in Skyrim or Fallout. But unfortunately, after a couple of hours with the game, I just couldn't get over that niggling feeling that I would enjoy this so much more on PC. So I requested a refund of the game on the PlayStation Store, and that got rejected. So I thought, <laughs> fuck it. And, uh, <laughs> and I managed to find a, a cheap Epic Games key for it, and uh, and I started again, and I'm, I'm having a fantastic time uh, now. I mean, it's a shame I didn't just buy it on PC straight away. Like, I didn't think to look for game keys on sale. I just saw that it was still full price on Steam and then looked on the PlayStation Store. But even between buying it twice, it still only cost me about 30 quid. Yeah. So I'm, I'm reasonably happy, even still. Now, like, my first impression when I saw The Outer Worlds was, well, that's just a Fallout ripoff. And it was weird of me to be so, like, defensive of the Fallout series, given that I was pretty unimpressed with Fallout 4. But I didn't realise when when I first saw it that it was from the team that made Fallout New Vegas. So when I realised that, I kind of felt they'd earned uh, earned their right, you know, to develop a Fallout-esque game. To be honest, aside from it being a first-person sci-fi open-world game... I mean, with admittedly a lot of shared mechanics, it, it doesn't feel that similar to Fallout in terms of its tone and its world. Like, it's much more Firefly than Fallout. It reminds me a lot more of Bioshock than anything Bethesda put out. And it's, 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 it's a much more enjoyable world to be in than Fallout, despite the fact that there's obviously a lot of darkness and a lot of bad stuff going on. At least it's not just wandering through the world's graveyard watching anything that survived slowly die. It's it, it's a very colourful, bright, fun place to be, and it's it's incredibly well written. Like there is just fantastic dialogue. It's really engaging. Yeah, you know, I want to spend time in this world and explore it, and I want to go and do all these side quests, not just so I can get uh, the XP or tick it off my list, because I'm genuinely invested in every single little strand of the story. And the thing that is crucial is that there is real consequential outcome of decisions that you make yeah. huge ones yeah. like you you mentioned this chris that there were big repercussions to the point where you ended up restarting your whole game i couldn't you hack it with yourself <laughs> i couldn't do it <laughs> and it was it's been great for me to play it kind of you know sporadically I, i've because it's i have to restart my computer and play it on my windows partition it means that i can't just like 
play a bit of it in between work or whatever because I'd have to restart my machine and I can't be bothered. So what I have been doing is during my Saturday and Sunday morning shifts of looking after Nora to let my wife catch up on some sleep, I'll sit and have Nora in the sling. She'll fall asleep and I'll put a few hours into the Outer Worlds. And it's been it's been nice sort of having like a week between play sessions for me really just to mull over the decisions that I'm going to make. Yeah. Because like within the first couple of hours, you're tasked with a big, big decision to basically have to choose which community to divert power to. And one of the, one of the communities is going to die and the other is not like that's, that's, you know, that's what you're sort of presented with. And um, yeah, it rewards you for being invested in the game. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really looking forward to my next weekend uh, with it when that comes. Lovely. Mm, so thank you. <laughs> so the time has come for the main pudding. And that is Minty's eighth favourite video game of all time. So Minty, please tell us about it. Here's a poser for you. If you were the grand arbiter of the internet, Jonathan and Chris. What do you mean if? <laughs> <laughs> Say somebody was logging onto the internet for the first time. And they had a big old PDF of guidelines that they had to, well, maybe not abide by, but keep mindful of. What one thing would you want people to keep in mind as they were interacting with people online? I would say, when replying to somebody else on the internet, imagine that you are face to face with them and your balls are within kicking distance of them. <laughs> that's a good one. That's a good yeah, one. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> what I would like is impossible, really, but I wish there was a way that the internet could have been built at that early stage to actually work as like a proper meritocracy because there's so much horseshit out there. And despite... The web is meant to be like a really utilitarian thing in theory, but the people whose work uh, and the people whose voices rise to the top still pretty much do that based on either money or nepotism. And I don't know, maybe, maybe there could be a clause, something like your, your profile and your value in cyberspace will be sculpted by your actions and the content of your character. So uh, does that work? Yeah, I think so. For sure. <laughs> well, there you go. Mm. That's, that's my tuppence. <laughs> Superb. Well, mine is please understand that your favourite and the objective best might be two different things. It's a, a fairly benign edict that, if we're being charitable to most of the people online, can have far-reaching implications from political discourse to political discourse. <laughs> I've, I've talked about this with you, Jonathan, a few times over the years, and I think it's an incredibly powerful realisation of one's own vulnerability to understand and accept that the thing in such a thing as a series, a menu, a discography, isn't the pinnacle of the maker's ability. For example, my favourite, uh, my favourite Opeth album is Blackwater Park. I love the, I, I love the murky heaviness of it, the almost perfume-like quality <laughs> of the gentler acoustic tracks, the gorgeous clashes in those single tracks like Dirge for November and The Drapery Falls, but I'd have to be a foaming reprobate to dispute the fact that Ghost Reveries is their absolute masterpiece. 
pricks love every single IPA that anybody puts out, but won't even glance at a well-made lager or a best bitter. <laughs> I love the Turok games. Need I say more? It's quite a pertinent <laughs> thought. <laughs> Objective best. It's quite a pertinent thought exercise for my eighth favorite video game of all time because it's it's part of a beloved franchise. And zooming in slightly, a much-loved genre, and zooming in even further, a fairly well-received series. It's not the best in any of those parameters. I know this. I'm mature enough to think it. And admit it. (laughs) But I tell you, for all its faults, even though its predecessor was the superior game, Mario & Luigi Dream Team Brothers is my favourite game in this series. It's such... Oh, it's a wonderful series to begin with. Mario games are fun to play, whether they're platformers, the sports spin-offs, the RPGs, mostly, kind of. <laughs> Paper Mario, looking at you. Stick us out. <laughs> oh, shush. <laughs> There's a lightheartedness of both aesthetic and control that belies some really incredible depth. For the whole of the Mario and Luigi series, that's incredibly apparent. It's bright it's colorful the characters are fun the dialogue is hilarious the stakes are high and the gameplay is simple but so involving and really utilizes all the tools of the hardware i mean we we've seen bowser's inside story on my list a good few months ago and that is it's the demonstrably better game in the series it benefited from the developers seeing and uh, working out what the ds could do when they made partners in time what the hardware was capable of, and it it refined the experience masterfully and rained down a plague on the toads for good measure. And for that, we thank them. (laughs) Plus, it's always fun playing as a villain, even if it is RPG Bowser, who is a totem of comic incompetence. But with Dream Team Brothers, not only did Alpha Dream have a touchscreen to work with, They also had the gyro controls, which meant that uh, tilting was as much as a control scheme as button pressing and stylus jabbing. And you know what? It's fine. The story and the setting requires a certain surreality by virtue of literally taking place, for the most part, inside the dreams of lovely long green Mario, (laughs) the string bean wahoo himself, Luigi. I lived in quite a loud flat when I first started playing this game, so I can't quite remember the opening premise of the game word for word, but Mario, Luigi, Peach, and all the rest of them are going on holiday to the Plo Kingdom. They get attacked by a strange purple bat thing and make a crash landing. They find a strange pillow and Luigi takes a nap on it, having such a vivid dream that Peach is stolen away into the dream world a realm watched over by this game's other supporting character alongside uh, series mainstay Starlo, Prince Dreambert. (laughs) He's taken up the mantle of incessant tutorial guide, an issue that meant this game had so many points docked from its review scores, and it really is never-ending. He's making sure to do fairly basic things tens of hours into this game and it does oh it really does get so tiresome i will admit that at a glance over the internet's view of this game it makes it apparent that the pacing of the game does get stuck in the craw of many and that's all of the dice that you always have to gamble on 
when you play an RPG. Anyway, Human Dreambert, free the rest of his people throughout the game, and the story builds towards the great climax of the great big bad, and also Bowser, as many of these games I want to do. And surprise, surprise, you win! It doesn't really matter. It's a Mario game. It's more about the journey you go on and the friends you make <laughs> along the way. Always. And what a lovely journey it is. Alongside the top-down world exploration that we've come to know and love from this series, you've also got various dream landscapes, thanks to the uh, somnol savant Luigi. <laughs> Wherever he rests his head, a 2D landscape opens up for you to navigate with real-world implications uh, with regards to puzzle solving, boss beating, and all the rest of it. It's mostly platforming, but this might be an unpopular opinion. I think it utilizes the touchscreen as a control scheme really well. Uh, because you're inside Luigi's dream, you're able to manipulate his sleeping face in the real world to cause environmental changes in the dream world. <laughs> now, oh, you, you you need to open a door? Well, simply have Starlo um, bother his nose and make him sneeze. Oh, that platform up there is too high. Well, fear not. There's a nearby tree. If you simply have Dream Luigi possess it, grab onto one of the fronds and fling yourself up high by having Starlo tug on his moustache, <laughs> you'll clear that chasm. Quaint and light-hearted little flourishes that bring a smile to your face. And as you listen to them, also you can somehow manifest about 500 little Luigis in a sort of a big tower that all jump at the same time. They can break through blocks and things, or you can put them in a cone shape and they become a tornado. <laughs> it's just a really nice way of uh, thinking outside the box when it comes to platforming. Like, oh, jump on this thing, go left, all that sort of thing. There's a puzzle solving element, which I really appreciate. It's a lovely game, but obviously from this spiel, it's not number eight good. <laughs> so get ready, one and all, for a little bit of a deep dive into why this is my absolute favourite game in the series. Chris and Jonathan. Hello. Hello. Would you sum up Luigi in one word? Cowardly. Okay, that, that works for me well, because uh, I've written here. If you had to sum up Luigi in one word, most people who are well versed in the Mario and Luigi series or the Luigi's Mansion series would say cowardly. <laughs> He's often you know, pulling his hat down over his face to escape the various scary enemies or the, the, that will lay the two brothers in their quest or shitting his pants because a curtain moved or a mouse popped out of a drawer. It's, it, it's a long running gag, particularly in this series, right up until this game. A good few months ago, we looked at, at Bowser's Inside Story which introduced giant battles, which is a fun boss fight that had an, an engorged Bowser fighting such things as uh, sentient castles and volcanoes and whatnot in some glorified touchscreen tug of war. He'd get almost killed and crushed or whatever, and Mario would just sort of give his walnut a poke and make him grow to about 10 stories. It's back in this game. Only they take place in Luigi's psyche, so you're privy to his innermost thoughts. So the first battle has a... the first giant battle, I should say, has a MacGuffin assume a giant robotic form to destroy the landscape around you and hopefully take you down with it. And naturally, Dream Luigi is shitting himself. Like, it, it's for all intents and purposes, it's a nightmare. Who hasn't been scared by something their kooky old brain has thought up? But it's his dream. So not only is he terrified, but he's also glowing. 
and then sleeping real-world Luigi has his cap pulled down over his face in anguish. Starlo is looking over him and watching over him, concerned, saying such things as, Do you need help, Luigi? I don't know what to do. And eventually, as one of the many tutorials of this game would lead you, you need to press on the L on Luigi's cap to absorb all the little dream Luigis to make him into a giant. But as you absorb these little Luigis, you also see glimpses of his inner monologue. He says such things as, Gotta help my bro, Mario, big bro. To see his resolve helping him power through his cowardice, his love for his brother strengthening him, it made me cry the first time <laughs> I played it. And also when I watched a few YouTube playthroughs to re-familiarize myself, despite every prick doing the absolute worst commentary like okay now we've got to press on his hat oh help my bro oh man luigi's glowing you guys <laughs> even then i i was i was just weeping in the kitchen it does get better the very last giant battle you fight is against bowser a wonderful culmination of this little series and as he's getting stronger and bigger and screaming such things, it's got to get bigger, got to eat more, got to smash Mario with a single punch. The L on Luigi's hat starts glowing as an indication of uh, a, a, a giant battle is coming. And that's what you've got to press. And he pulls it down, not with the uh, the sort of the, the double clenched fist fear that he had in, the, in those formal battles, but with a wonderful self-assuredness. And even Starlo comments on it. Are you having a nightmare, Luigi? You seem so different. So much more confident than usual. It's such a wonderful bit of character development that I I, I, I really can't recollect it with, without just dissolving. And I know that <laughs> even just reading out this bit of script will make me go again. So <laughs> this is all I've written. <laughs> It's a really lovely game to play, but the emotional beats, especially when you follow the series and Luigi and been rooting for him over the years and years, makes this one of the most wonderful game experiences I've ever had the pleasure. The pleasure of playing. Wonderful. Wow. It's incredible. It's one of the most one of the most emotive gameplay experiences I've ever had in my life. Unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, who'd think it? Mm. This is a good a good podcast project, boys. <laughs> <laughs> this this has been just such a fucking treat for for so long now. It's just it's such a different thing to listen to to both of you talk about these games and to be able to kind of vocalise stuff about my games for you know, like I said, essentially two and a half years now. We're coming up for we all play and experience this stuff in such a different way. Mm. And and I mean that in in terms of a different way between how the three of us might experience the same game, but in a very different way to how the, the, the kind of gaming and cultural zeitgeist has rumbled along over the years. And we've said loads of times, there, there are games for everyone. You know, there is a game that will, you know, appeal to every single person on this planet if they find the right thing. But there is still an overwhelming kind of, the mainstream majority is that games have a certain purpose and function that isn't necessarily what we find in them as, as us three and, and people that might kind of play things in the same way we do. And it, it's been so, so nice over, over the course of doing this to, 
to really, really reconnect with, with you, Jonathan, you know, to, to spend proper time with you every single week, mm. but also such a joy to get to know you, Minty, for, you know, for someone we, we had never really had that much of a connection before starting this show. Mm. And and to have these kind of shared experiences now, to, to hear about why this stuff means so much to you both has, has been, yeah, a treat week in, week out. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's really good. So there we have it. That was Minty's eighth favourite video game of all time. And it was... Mario and Luigi, Dream Team Brothers. If you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes, then please do share the podcast on social media. And you can engage with us on our social media platforms as well. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash r3cents. You can find us on YouTube, search for r3cents. You can find us on Twitch and Instagram and TikTok at O3C Podcast. Chat to us about these games. Chat to us about games that you're playing. Tell us what your top 10 favourite video games of all time are. We'd love to hear about them. And if you're really enjoying what we're doing, then please do check out our Patreon page and consider pledging a little bit towards the podcast to get a huge amount more. You can also engage with us individually. You can find me on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. You can find me at Chaz underscore Hodges. And I'm Clement underscore Boo. And please do join us next week as I will round out this little section of our eighth favourite video games with my eighth favourite video game of all time. It's a good one. Better be. And now a word from our sponsor. Welcome to Casual Magic, the show where we explore the fun side of Magic the Gathering. I'm your host, Shivam Putt, and each week we delve into everything from casual format to explorations of creatures and card types to interviews with designers of the game. At Casual Magic, we believe that it just isn't magic without the gathering. Come along and play! Come on in, what can I get you? Sure, I've heard of Hair of the Dogcast. They're that podcast about video games and beer. From the latest gaming headlines to diving deep into the games of yesterday to sampling and reviewing craft beer from all over the world, Hair of the Dogcast is here for the gamer and beer lover in all of us. Available weekly on the Greenlit Podcast Network.